Today we're getting back into 1 Corinthians. And so we took about a month off of 1 Corinthians, and now we're going to get back into 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 8 today. In chapter 8, it is just so practical, and I've learned so much from going through this text. And I hope you guys get some of the same things I got out of it. It's going to really shake your paradigm of way you look at Christianity and way you look at what a strong Christian really is. And the topic today is liberty and legalism. The picture up there is of a, of a man, and he's got a cart. You know what that cart is called? You guys been to Asia? What's that? Rickshaw. Yeah, it's called a rickshaw. My dad, who is a pastor, and he went to Indonesia, he told me a story about a church he went to in Indonesia where... A foreign pastor came in, a white pastor came in to preach at a church in Indonesia, and he shows up on a rickshaw. And all the elders are out front smoking cigars in front of the church. And so he goes in, he gives his message, and afterwards they have a meal together, and they go, well, how did it go? And the elders go, oh, it was really good, but we were kind of worried when we saw you come in in showing up in a rickshaw that you made this guy work on the Sabbath. And the pastor's like, well, yeah, I was kind of worried too because when I showed up, I saw all you guys smoking cigars. And in our church, Christians don't smoke. And so that kind of brings us into these gray areas, these topics that really aren't in Scripture. You know, we have the Ten Commandments that are pretty black and white, right? You know, not to steal. Murder is wrong. There's certain things that are black and white in Scripture. But there's these things that aren't in Scripture, these gray areas. And that's what this chapter 8 is about today, is these gray areas. So if you could just go through that survey, just quickly mark down yes or no. Don't spend a lot of time thinking through this. There's no, there's no tricks here at all. Just mark down yes or no, and whether you participate in these gray areas or not. And you can just leave those surveys on your chair. We'll collect them later. Don't put your name down. It's just, just kind of to get your mind thinking about things in the gray area. And some of those things I put down are smoking, drinking alcohol in moderation, tattoos and body piercings, gambling, listening to secular music, watching R-rated movies. So these are the things that the Bible doesn't say explicitly are things that are sinful or not. They're the gray areas of Christianity. There is really kind of a tension between Christian liberty and freedom that we have in Christ and maybe legalism, where people make these rules and they just say, well, if you're a Christian, you have to abide by these rules and not go into the gray area at all. So there's this tension of liberty and legalism. What is legalism? Let's look at legalism first. The definition of legalism is excessive adherence to the law. Excessive adherence to the law. C.J. Mahaney says this. He says, legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. Seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. So it's basically this self-reliance. It's this reliance on yourself instead of on God and what he did for us. How you guys know who Jeff Foxworthy is? 
All right. That might be another gray area. (laughs) But you guys hear about his redneck test. Whether you know if you're a redneck or not, well, we're going to take the legalist test today. Okay. The legalist test is you might be a legalist if you think you must become good enough or do a certain number of good works in order to be saved and or maintain your salvation status with God. And repeat after me, you might be a legalist. All right. It's another one. You might be a legalist if when you sin, you feel as though you cannot come before God until you have met some sort of probationary period to regain your worthiness. You might be a a legalist. Next one, you might be a legalist if you elevate Christian traditions to a status on par with the teaching of Scripture itself. Then you might be a legalist. And finally, you might be a legalist if you require others to live in the same manner as you do, and yet you cannot find the behavior you are prescribing or prohibiting in Scripture. Then you might be a legalist. All right. Now, the opposite end of the spectrum is liberty or freedom. And liberty or freedom in Christ is letting the Holy Spirit or your conscience be the guide. The Holy Spirit or your conscience be your guide. Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So we are free. In Christ, we have freedom. By being in Christ, there is a freedom of the Spirit of living in Christ that we need to understand. And Galatians talks a lot about this. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. There is a tendency. There is two extremes, right? There's the legalistic extreme, which you adhere to all the laws, and, and then some you add rules and regulations of what a Christian should look like and be. And then there's the liberty side, which says, Hey, anything in that gray area? Not a problem. You're free to do anything you want in that gray area. And we have tendencies either ways, right? I know when I was first a Christian, I had tendencies towards legalism. You know, I came out of a background that was very secular, and I did a lot of sinful things. And so when I became a Christian, I stopped drinking, stopped chewing tobacco, stopped going to R-rated movies, stopped listening to secular music, and I became kind of legalistic. And there was nothing wrong with that. There was a lot of good things for that. And that's probably what God wanted me to do in that period of my life is, is to turn from a lot of those things because they would lead me back into my old lifestyle. But if I take those rules and I put them on other people, then what did I become? I became a legalist, right? And that can come along in your Christian walk if you stay there too long. So we're going to be looking at those two different tendencies of legalism Versus liberty. There's two principles we're going to talk about today. Just two principles. We're going to cover the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, which is 13 verses. But we're just going to cover two main principles. And these really interact with each other quite a bit. The first six verses are going to talk about love and knowledge. And how love and knowledge must go together. They must run together. And then the second principle we're going to talk about is how stronger believers need to come alongside weaker ones. The neat thing about what we're doing here in teaching in plurality is in three weeks, 
Dean's going to go into chapter 10, which is dealing with the very similar issues we're talking about today. And you'll get to hear it from a different perspective. So it'll be really neat to hear what Dean has to say when he goes into chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. If you would, turn with me, and we're going to read the first six verses. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now concerning these things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge makes arrogance. But love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things And we exist for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. And we exist through him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your word. And I just pray that you would open our hearts today. To listen to your word and and speak into our hearts. And I think it's, and I know it's changed my heart. And I think it's going to change a lot of our hearts. And the way we think about our lives as Christians and following Christ and what it means to live in in freedom and being free. I know a lot of us have tendencies toward legalism and how we can really be free in Christ. But again, think of our brother and sisters in Christ and show them love. And so, Lord, pray that you'd speak through me today. There's a lot here, and I just pray that I articulate it clearly and that your word would come forth and your truth would come forth and I wouldn't get in the way that you'd divinely edit this message the way you want it to be spoken, any way, way you want it to be heard by everyone here. Lord, be with all those that aren't here with us today and, and protect them and pray that they would draw near to you as well today on this Sabbath day. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. This chapter, chapter 8, is really addressed towards believers and specifically towards the strong believer, the strong Christian. And what it means is in this verse, the strong Christian is those that have knowledge, that know God's word, that are mature in their faith. And they live really in freedom. They live in Christian freedom because they have this knowledge. And they're the mature believer that's really not tempted a lot. They're not drawn in the flesh. They don't have a lot of the fleshly desires that the less mature Christian has. And so they're kind of this less carnal Christian, if you will. And that's really who Paul is addressing today. And the first verse talks about things sacrificed to idols. Things sacrificed to idols or idol sacrifices. So what is he talking about here? Things sacrificed to idols. In Rome and in Greece, they had a polytheistic culture. They had a lot of gods. And a lot of these gods, they had a temple for each god. You guys probably know about that when you've studied Greek and Roman history. And in these temples, they would do animal sacrifices to these gods, to appease these gods. And so they'd sacrifice an animal, and some of the meat would go to the god. But a majority of that meat would be left over. 
and it would be sold. And it had to be sold in the marketplace where it was really expensive and very few people could eat the meat because it was so expensive. Or you could go to the temple and get the meat at a cheap price. The stronger Christians in the church in Corinth, these more mature Christians, were buying this meat and eating this meat and even eating it at the temple and thinking no big deal about it. It's not a big issue. Well, for these weaker Christians, they were offended by that because they just got saved out of that pagan culture. They just got saved out of it. They didn't want anything to do with that. And so they were offended by this. They were offended by what their stronger, more mature believers were doing. And it was really a problem for them. And it was a potential, again, for division in the church. Now, here we go once again. The Corinthian church and division, right? This is all the way back to chapter 1 where we were talking about the cliques with Paul and Apollos and Peter. There was a potential for division there. Well, now here's another issue for division. Paul is now answering some questions. The church in Corinth had some questions about questionable practices. And they asked a question about marriage in chapter 7. And so Paul answered the questions about marriage in chapter 7. And now in chapter 8, they have a question about this meat sacrificed to idols. Is it okay to eat this meat? Is it all right? Well, the strong believers who had knowledge said, of course it's all right, because idols are nothing. There's only one God. There's only one Father. There's only one Lord. That's Jesus. These idols are just material. They're just statues. That's not a big deal. And they're not contaminated by these idols. That's what the weaker believers thought. They were contaminated by these idols. But they're not contaminated at all because there's nothing. Idols are nothing. That's what it says in the first six verses. Idols are nothing. So they have this knowledge, right? So let's look into this word knowledge. What does that mean? Now this word knowledge started off in 1 Corinthians in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. And it's talking about a spiritual knowledge. A knowledge of God and His Word and who God is and what He's all about. It's a spiritual knowledge. Okay, But what does this knowledge do? In verse 1 it says, it puffs up. It breeds arrogance. It makes you arrogant. Okay, So the knowledge is breeding arrogance. Once again, they're having a pride issue in the church in Corinth. The knowledge itself is really not the problem, though. The knowledge of being of God's Word and knowing God's Word and knowing about God, that's not the problem. The problem really is their attitude. It's their heart attitude towards this knowledge. That it's knowledge really without love. It's an uncaring knowledge. It's a lack of care for others. That's really the issue here. It's kind of that know-it-all attitude. How many of you guys have a kid that thinks he knows it all? Right? You might be sitting next to the kid that knows it all, right? I do. I got a kid who knows it all, and I don't even bother arguing with him. He knows it all. He knows everything, and he's seven years old, and he knows it all. It's amazing. So he's got a know-it-all attitude. So this is my quote for the people like that. This is what knowledge is. The process of passing from the unconscious state of ignorance to the conscious state of ignorance. <laughs> That's really what knowledge is. And, and anyone that is deep and knows God's Word, and gets into God's Word, and knows about God, they know how very little 
We know, right? The deeper you know about God and the deeper you get in God's Word, you're just blown away by how very little you know. And so that quote's pretty appropriate for that. You know, there's a lot of us here that know a lot about the Bible. We have a lot of Bible knowledge. But that doesn't really help us grow in grace unless we have love. Love has to go alongside knowledge. And so that's really what Paul's getting at is, is love has to come alongside knowledge. And so what is love? What does the verse say what love is and what love does? Well, it says that love builds up or it edifies. It considers others more important than themselves, just like in Philippians chapter 2, and looking toward the interests of others and not yourself. It's this selflessness that love does. And so love must come alongside knowledge. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. If anyone loves God, he is known by him. So you've got to ask your question, are you known by God? Does God know you? Does God intimately know you? Do you have a personal relationship with God? You're talking to each other all the time. It's intimate. He knows all about you, and you deeply want to know all about Him. Or do you love God, or do you just love to be obedient to God? As I said before, love needs to go with knowledge. And Ephesians chapter 4 says we must speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, they must always go together. We must take the knowledge that we have, but go towards other people in love and thinking of their interests is more important than ourselves. Uh, there's a quote. Knowledge without love is brutality, but love without knowledge is hypocrisy. So knowledge is not the problem by itself. Love is not the problem by itself. We can have all the knowledge in the world, but not have love and be like in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and be a what? Banging gong or a clanging cymbal, right? You know everything there is to know about the Bible, but when you talk to people, all they're hearing is bang, bang, clang, clang, clang. They don't hear any love. Or you could be all about love, like the love child of the 60s and going around with flowers in your hair and, oh, I love, and I love everybody, and love, and love, but have no truth, have no knowledge, and go nowhere too. So love has to go with knowledge, and knowledge has to go with love. Now the next topic I'm going to talk about is that strong believers... Really, they lacked this love. That's what Paul is talking about, that these strong believers, they had this knowledge, but they lacked the love. So Paul is really now talking to them and asking them to come alongside the weaker believers. So let's look at verses 7 through 13 now. Verses 7 through 13. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 
For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. The next topic really is about the stronger Christians needing to come alongside the weaker ones. So the stronger Christians needing to take their knowledge and and bring love and interact that with it. And instead of building up themselves, they need to build up the weaker ones and help them along in maturity, kind of like a discipleship of the younger Christians and helping to understand their freedom in Christ. And so coming alongside them. And the first thing I want to talk about is really what a strong Christian is. And, and I have had really a false notion of what a strong Christian is. For a long time, I thought a strong Christian is someone that not only obeys the Ten Commandments, but they obey everything, all the rules in the gray area, too. They don't, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they would not never go to a bar or a nightclub. They obey all those extra rules, too. And I always thought, well, that, that is a strong Christian, you know, because they're very obedient. And I've kind of been blown away by reading through this that that really is not what a strong Christian in this text is. A strong Christian is one who is free in those gray areas in their life and free to go there and is not tempted in the flesh as much and is not drawn in the flesh as much as the younger, the weaker Christian who has those draws in the flesh that really pull them away from Christ. That's kind of been a shift a little bit for me in thinking of what a strong Christian is versus what a weaker one is. Let me get an example of this. I read a book called The Radical Reformation. Some of the leaders have been reading this book by Mark Driscoll. He's a pastor in Seattle. He has a story in the book about how he's invited by a gay person to a gay bar. And he goes to the gay bar. And he's uncomfortable there, obviously. But he's there and he's able to witness to some of the the gay people there about Christ and share the gospel with people there. And then we went to the missionary church conference this last year, and there was a guy there who started a church with totally all unbelievers. He asked, well, how could you start a church with all unbelievers? Well, he started it by going to bars and hanging out in bars. And you think, wow, what a concept. But you think about it, where do lost people go? A lot of them go to bars. Where do people that need Christ go? They go to bars. Where do people that need to talk go? They got in a fight with their wife or their boyfriend or girlfriend. Where do they go? They go to a bar. So there's another story in the Radical Reformation about a guy who's a bartender. And he gets to be there and and be a witness for Christ as a bartender. And now, I'm not telling all you guys to go hang out in bars <laughs> and go to nightclubs and bars. But I'm saying, if, that, if you are not drawn, you know, if you don't have those problems with alcohol or 
wine womanist song or drugs, sex, and rock and roll, whatever it may be. If you are that mature Christian where you don't have the draw in the flesh like that, that's where these guys are at. And I was convicted of asking, where would Jesus be in our culture today? That's probably where he would be. He would probably be in the bars and the nightclubs, hanging out with people. As I said, I'm not prescribing to do that. And there's going to be some other issues we need to talk about in a a moment that we need to balance that as not being a stumbling block for younger Christians. But it was just kind of uh, food for thought to blow in kind of my paradigm of what a strong Christian is away and the thinking of ways that we can reach out in our community. We're talking about this great giveaway thing. Well, what a way to stretch us. If, if someone is not drawn in the flesh by alcohol and those things and can hang out at maybe Duke's or Bruce's or something like that and, and just hang out and be able to talk to people and interact with people in those kind of places. We sometimes in our churches kind of have this monk mentality. You know what I'm talking about? When we just hole up in our homes and we hole up in our church and our community group and we don't really get out there at all and we're afraid to express any of our Christian freedom because of what people think about us. And there's a quote by a famous preacher. He says, um, some Christians grow while others just swell. He's talking about that a lot of times we just spend a lot of time in, in our churches building our Bible knowledge up, knowing a lot about the Bible and not growing and not showing love towards other people and just swelling up with knowledge and not showing love and caring for other people and especially those in our community not getting out in our community. So we must take this knowledge and always have love in mind, love of others, especially a love of those that don't know Christ. All right, I'll get to the stumbling block in a minute here. That's, that's probably the key verse in here. But before I talk about being a stumbling block to the weaker believers, we must talk about the conscience. And the conscience is brought up three times here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And what a conscience is, is the soul's ability to distinguish right from wrong behavior. It's kind of like a moral rudder. Right on a boat. You have a rudder. Well, the rudder helps you navigate, get around things. That's what the conscience is like. It's kind of like having a circuit judge. If you guys heard the Newsboys song, it talks about having a circuit judge inside you that tells you what's right from wrong. Romans chapter 2 says even the Gentiles, even those that don't know God, have a conscience. We all have a conscience. It's built into us. God built it into us. And then kind of for community group discussion, is to look at Romans chapter 14, which talks about all the principles of the conscience. Now, there are three types of a weak conscience. And they're talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, a little bit later. But there's three types of a weak conscience. There's the one where we are saved for only a short period of time. Okay, So you're a new Christian. You're going to probably have a weak conscience. Because really you haven't had that opportunity to grow and strengthen your conscience and become stronger and more mature. Another type of a weak conscience is really the refusal to grow. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you just refuse to grow. It's like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when it says you have to still feed on milk. You're not ready for solid food yet because you've refused to grow and let your conscience grow stronger. Or it's just a refusal to be a part of a church body. 
being plugged in with believers, refusal to reading your Bible and growing in knowledge of God and who He is. And the thirdly type of weak conscience is really in a fear of the freedom that you have in Christ. A fear of the freedom you have in Christ. You became a believer and you probably set up those good rules in your life to get you out of the life you used to, your old life and into the new life, but you stayed there. You never grew in your freedom that Christ has given you. It's kind of like a, uh, a kid who needs to go to school every day and he's old enough to go to school by himself, but he still has his mom taking him to school. So he's 16 years old, has his driver's license, can drive to school, but he's too afraid and his mom needs him to drive him to school. So that's kind of an analogy of what being afraid to be in your freedom is. In chapter 8, there are three things that can happen to a weak conscience. Three things that can happen to a weak conscience. The first one in verse 7 says it can be easily defiled. And defiled means polluted or contaminated or corrupted. So a weak conscience can be easily defiled. As I said, these, the people in Corinth, they would see the strong believers eating in the idol's temple and their conscience would be defiled. Just as if someone who sees a stronger believer at a bar drinking, then their conscience would be easily defiled because they saw him there and they think, well, if that mature Christian is drinking, well, I can start drinking. So it defiles or contaminates their conscience. Another thing that can happen to a weak conscience is it can be offended. In chapter 10, they said that these weaker Christians were offended. So they saw him in the, the temple and they were offended. They were mad about that. What are they doing in there? They shouldn't be doing that. They need to obey the same rules I'm obeying. So that weak conscience gets offended when they see someone else, a stronger Christian, working in their freedom. And lastly, they can get wounded. Their conscience can get wounded. So, not listening to your conscience is really like breaking off that rudder. God's giving you this moral rudder, and if you don't listen to your conscience, it's like breaking it off and floating around aimlessly. That's what it's like. And not uh, listening to our conscience does, too, is it, it leads to confusion and guilt. It dulls our conscience and makes it weaker if you don't listen to your conscience. And really, for these weaker Christians, if they didn't listen to their conscience, it's like basically committing sin to them. They just committed sin because they didn't listen to their conscience. The thing is, is that we must listen to our conscience. The more you listen to the conscience, the more obedient you are to your conscience, the stronger it will grow. The stronger conscience comes with knowledge. The more you know of God's word, the stronger your conscience will become. Back to the point about the stronger and the weaker, that the stronger People with a stronger consciences must defer to those weaker ones in love to help them to grow and to mature in their faith. And that they can't pamper them, but they must give them time to grow in their faith and that freedom. I was at a party one time, and it was with a bunch of stronger, what I thought more mature Christians. And one of the people in the party, we were talking about alcohol. And one of them in the at the party coming, they said, well, yeah, I drink alcohol, and, you know, I know it's a stumbling block for the weaker, less mature Christians, but, hey, they need to just get over it. 
They just need to become more mature. Well, the problem with that comment is he wasn't looking at verse 9. And I think verse 9 is the key to this whole chapter. It's the key verse of this whole chapter. So look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9 says this. It says, But take care that this liberty or freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So many of you guys know I'm in youth ministry here at Windsor Community Church. And so for me, youth dwell in the gray area. They love to be in the gray area and they love to push the gray area in a big way. But a lot of things they can't do for legal reasons, you know, drinking age, use of tobacco products. So for me, I really use this verse as a key verse for me. I don't, you know, I don't drink and I don't use tobacco products and a lot of times don't listen to secular music or watch R-rated movies because of that, because I work with youth. I don't want to be a stumbling block to the youth because many of them, one, they maybe aren't believers or they have the weaker conscience. They're the younger believers. They're not mature yet. And so we must always bring this verse in light of our behavior. We must always think of others when we're going into those gray areas and what they would think if we saw some of those other people and what we're doing. And there's a phrase that Driscoll said. He said, while our freedom is important, our friends are more important. So having a freedom in Christ is an important thing. Christ gave it to us. We are free in many things in these gray areas. But what is more important is our friends. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are much more important. And unity in the body is much more important. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. Hey guys, you, you're right. You got the knowledge. You know it all. And you are free in all those things. You can't eat meat sacrifice aisles. But hey, as far as unity is concerned, don't be a stumbling block to the weaker brothers. Right In verse 13, he even talks about that, that Paul himself didn't eat meat sacrificed to idols because he had love and care for his other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and counted them more important than himself. And his freedom is important, but he looked as others as more, even far more important in their relationship and unity in the body and not creating division on these things in the gray area. I know a lot of churches that, that really fight over these gray area things. Here at Windsor, we don't want to dogmatically say, oh, you got, there's no dancing at church, you know. And I know some churches are big on that, no dancing or no this or no that. And we don't want to become a legalistic church where we have to say yes or no on things. We want to let the Spirit guide people. And, and we'll give counsel on certain situations, but we want the Spirit to guide people on things and let your conscience be the guide as well. Finally, real importantly, is verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, Causing a brother to stumble is more than offense against him. It is an offense against our Lord. As if we sin against our Lord. Those are some pretty heavy words. A real deep statement. It's actually sinning against our Lord. So not taking our freedom too lightly. We should limit our liberty and our freedom at any time, at any degree, to help our other brothers and sisters in Christ.
Now, here's a practical checklist, if you will, for when you're making decisions in these gray areas. The first one is, what does the Bible say? Right? Ten Commandments. Pretty cut and dry. It says, do not steal, do not murder. It's pretty obvious not to do those things. So look to Scripture when you're thinking about participating in certain things. Now, there's things in the gray area that aren't in Scripture. So then we go to the next thing on the checklist. And there's these gray areas. So you've got to ask yourself the next question. What does my conscience say? Listen to Jiminy Cricket. Pinocchio didn't do it. He got a big, long nose. So what does your conscience say? Let your conscience guide you. If you don't listen to it, you're going to weaken it. If you obey it, you'll become stronger and you'll become more mature in your faith. So let your conscience guide. What does it say? The third thing is, what does my weakness require? What does my weakness require? Some of us have different weaknesses than others. Like if you were an alcoholic and you have trouble with alcohol, you probably shouldn't be around the bars and the nightclubs. You probably shouldn't put yourself in tempting situations. If you struggle with lustful thoughts, you probably shouldn't be watching R-rated movies that put you in that situation. So what is your weakness? Some of us are weaker in some areas than others. Men and women are definitely different in those areas. So what does your weakness require? And then, lastly, what does my friend need? What does my friend need? When you're thinking about participating in these things in the gray area, always think of others. Always think of others in the church body. Other brothers and sisters in Christ who may be a stumbling block for them in these areas. So always consider what their needs are and their maturity level and not causing them to sin. There's a quote by Mark Driscoll. He says that they are theologically conservative and culturally liberal. I think our church does a good job at theologically conservative but probably not as good job as culturally liberal. The legalistic churches forbid things that are not in Scripture, and we don't want to be there, Windsor Community Church. We do not want to forbid things that are not explicitly forbidden in Scripture. That really is legalism. I have friends of mine who are vegetarians, and so out of respect for them, I don't eat meat around them. It's out of respect for them. But then... I can tell them that I have the freedom to eat meat. This whole chapter is talking about meat sacrificed to idols. That I think Paul would probably be saying that, you know, that's a stumbling block for them, but to teach those younger, weaker believers that, hey, this meat is not contaminated by idols. It's not a big deal. And to teach them and bring them along and not force them, obviously, but let, let them grow and their knowledge of God so that they can be in those freedom areas. And also, if we go out and I go out with someone that struggles with alcohol, I'm not going to have alcohol with them because I know they struggle with alcohol. So out of love for them to defer my freedom for their what theirs could be a stumbling block. The goal must always be love and concern for others. Don't enjoy freedom at the expense of others and their faith.